lead pastor here at Oasis, and it is wonderful to see you today. It's an exciting day for our church community. The, the Christmas festival is always uh, a highlight in our calendar, and I hope that you'll be able to, to join us later today. If uh, you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. That's where we'll be today, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Now, while you're turning there, I want to ask you, what is your favorite technological development from the last few years? What is your favorite technological development from the last few years? Now, maybe it's just the internet. I know it's been around for a little while, but, but maybe that's it for you. Maybe it's your smartphone, which I don't think has made us very smart. Maybe it's your battery-powered tools, things, make things much more convenient around the house. Maybe it's the, the robo-vacuum, you know, that vacuums the house when you go out and do what you need to do during the day. Let me tell you a, a technological development for which I'm very grateful. One that has saved me a lot of time and a lot of frustration, especially at this time of year. I'm talking about online shopping. I remember a number of years ago when it came time to do my Christmas shopping, I would rock up at the shops with my list of names and I would do the best that I could to get through them as quick as I could. Now, it's not that I'm a Grinch. I love Christmas. It's just that struggling to find a park, fighting through crowds of people, trying to hunt down the perfect gift, all while listening to Mariah Carey tell me that she doesn't want a lot for Christmas over and over again. It's not my idea of a good time. And it actually led to some very unchristian thoughts. You see, I'd sometimes find myself looking around at the crowds, people pushing their trolleys, stacks full of stuff, people fighting to get past one another, people arguing over car park spots. And I'd think to myself, really, this isn't what it's all about. Do you even know why we celebrate Christmas? See, when I looked at the crowds of people around me, sadly, it was all too easy to look with self-righteous eyes. And it got me thinking, how does Jesus look at the crowds? What does Jesus feel when he looks at the crowds of people going about their business? Many not interested in him. Many largely ignorant of him. What is Jesus' attitude towards the crowds? Now, the truth is, we don't have to wonder, because there was an occasion during Jesus' life on earth when we are told about his reaction to the crowds, how he felt towards the masses. Now, it wasn't people in the shops at Christmas time, but it was a crowd of people largely ignorant to him, a crowd of people far from him. And what did Jesus feel? How did he respond? This is what we're looking at today. Now, the reason this matters is obvious. There are crowds of people all around us. Crowds of people uninterested in Jesus. Crowds of people far from Jesus. We will have a crowd descend on our campus later today. 
And so what should we feel towards them? How should we respond to them? These are important questions which we're going to look at today. If you've been around for the last few weeks, we have been in a sermon series which we've called The Heart of Christ. We're looking at the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. We're asking the question, what is Jesus like really? What flows out of him? What does he feel towards sinners and sufferers like us? And today, as we come to week four in our sermon series, we're asking, how does Jesus feel towards the crowds? Hopefully, you have in front of you Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 35 to 38. If you don't have your Bible in front of you, you can follow along on the screen. This is what we read in God's Word. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, my goal for this sermon is is very simple. By the time we get to the end today, it's my hope that we will see the way that Jesus sees, so that we feel the way that Jesus feels, and so that we do what Jesus tells us to do. That's it. That's my goal. And so we're going to look at this passage under those three headings. What Jesus saw, what Jesus felt, and then what Jesus said. Let's begin with what Jesus saw. Now, the answer to this question is very simple because we're told in verse 36, he saw the crowds. Just like at the shops at Christmas time, Jesus saw lots of people. And the reason he saw lots of people is because he'd been traveling throughout the region of Galilee. That's what we're told in verse 35. Jesus had been traveling throughout cities and villages, and he'd been teaching and preaching, and he'd been healing. You see, this verse is kind of like a summary of Jesus' ministry. It tells us the main things that Jesus had been doing. He'd been teaching, he'd been preaching, and he'd been healing. Now, notice that all three of these activities involve people. Jesus had been teaching people. He'd been preaching to people. He'd been healing people. As he traveled around Galilee, Jesus had been interacting with lots and lots of people. And this is what he saw. He saw the crowds. But here's the question. What did he see in particular? What did he notice about these crowds? Did he see them as a nuisance, like I did? Did he see them as an annoyance or as a hindrance? This is what we're told in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowds, he saw their need. What captured Jesus' attention about the crowds was their condition. Jesus saw people in need of help. He says they are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Caroline's already helped us to understand that sheep are basically helpless. 
they had no way to defend themselves. They're scared of just about everything, and they can't even find their own food. If they don't have a shepherd to lead them to food and water and to protect them, they are just about totally vulnerable. And this is how Jesus sees the crowds. He says they're lost and they're in need of help. Now, what was their problem exactly? What was the the desperate need of these crowds? Was it mainly physical? Was it their, their sicknesses, their poverty, their suffering? Now, Jesus obviously was concerned about their physical needs. Remember, he'd gone around healing people, but his concern went deeper. See, when Jesus looked at the crowds, what moved him most deeply, it was not their physical condition. It was their spiritual condition. It was their spiritual lostness. You see, this image of being like sheep without a shepherd, it actually has strong roots in the Old Testament. There are a number of times throughout the history of the Old Testament when the people of God had bad leaders. When the priests and the prophets and the kings, those who were supposed to lead God's people, they neglected their responsibility. They were nasty or selfish or corrupt. And as a result, the people became like sheep without a shepherd. I could show you numerous examples. Numbers 27, 1 Kings 22, Ezekiel 34, Zechariah chapter 10. The point here in Matthew 9 is that it is the same in Jesus' day. The religious leaders in Jesus' day had neglected their responsibility. They're not guiding the people. They're not protecting the people. They're not taking care of the people. They're laying burdens on the people. And as a result, they're lost. They're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And this is what Jesus sees when he looks at the crowds of people. He sees harassed people. He sees helpless people. He sees lost people. He sees confused people. And this is a pretty good way to summarize our situation, isn't it? I mean, this describes the human predicament pretty well. We're lost. We're confused. We're searching. We don't know where to go and we don't know what to do. I could roll out a whole heap of statistics, but you know this to be true. And friends, this is what makes Christmas such good news. Because Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to gather God's lost sheep. I mean, the good news of Christianity, the good news of Christmas is not that this is what you must do to find God. The good news of Christmas, the good news of Christianity is that this is what God has done to find you. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came to gather God's lost sheep, to lay down his life for us to take us all the way home to God. And if you're a Christian, this is what God has done for you. He's gathered you in His arms. He's taken you home. But of course, it's also true that there are still many, many, many people around us that haven't come under the care of the Good Shepherd. And we interact with these people every day. They're our friends and our family members. They're our neighbors and our colleagues our classmates and our teammates. We see them on the TV. We see them at the shops. We see them on our social media feeds. We see these people all around us. And the question is, 
when we see these people, when we look at these crowds of people, what do we see? What do you see? What do I see? Do you look at the crowds the way that I used to at the shops? With, with, with scorn, with frustration, with self-righteousness? Do you look down on others who are far from God? Or, or do you see the way that Jesus sees? With sympathy, with care, with understanding. You know, Don Carson is a, a renowned Bible scholar and author. And when he was a young pastor uh, in a struggling church in Canada, he was going through a really difficult season in ministry. And so there was one evening when his pastoral supervisor, Ken, invited him to go for a swim in a nearby lake. And Don was really looking forward to it because he needed a break. And the lake was a clean, quiet place to kind of just get away. When they arrived, Don was horrified to discover that the place had been taken over by teenagers. They were celebrating their graduation, kind of like schoolies. And Don writes, Deeply disappointed that my evening's relaxation was being shattered by a raucous party. I was getting ready to cover my disappointment by moral outrage. I turned to Ken to unload the venom, but stopped as I saw him staring at the scene with a faraway look in his eyes. And then he said rather softly, high school kids, what a mission field. In one sense, he had seen and heard exactly what I did. In another sense, we had not heard and seen the same things at all. I had much to learn. And friends, this is what we all must learn. We must learn to see as Jesus sees especially if we want to feel the way that Jesus feels. And this leads us to our second point, which is what Jesus felt. I mean, what was Jesus' response to the crowds? What did he feel when he saw their need? Now, let's be realistic. This must have been draining for Jesus. He'd been traveling to dozens of cities and villages on foot. He'd been interacting with thousands of people. And not just any people, people with real needs. Hurt people, sick people, demon-afflicted people. Can you imagine the physical fatigue Jesus must have felt? Can you imagine the emotional burden he must have been under? It would have been very easy for him to become jaded. For him to respond like I did at Christmas time. With frustration or with self-righteousness. But it's not how Jesus responds. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now that word that is translated compassion, it is the Greek word splanknizomai. Kids, I wonder if you can say that. Splanknizomai. Now this is a word that literally means to feel it in your bowels. It means to be moved in the inward parts. We might say it means to feel it in your guts. It means to feel something as deeply as you can. And so when Jesus looked at the crowds, his deepest feeling was compassion. He didn't get frustrated because of their neediness. He didn't say, you're so sinful, it makes me sick. He felt compassion for them because of their condition. 
And you know, this is not the only time that Jesus responded in this way. This is not kind of like an outlier in Jesus' life and ministry. I mean, a little later in Matthew, in chapter 14, Jesus is actually told about the beheading of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, so you can imagine this would have landed heavily on him. And so we read there that he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. You can imagine he wanted to get away to to grieve and to process and to pray. But the crowds got wind of it and they followed Jesus. Now, if I was in Jesus' sandals, I would be frustrated. I've just lost my cousin. But look at what we read, verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Then in chapter 15, Jesus is in a remote place in the mountains and the crowds have followed him again. He's been healing them and he's been caring for their needs, but they've been with him for a few days now. There's no Maccas, there's no Woolies nearby. And so verse 32, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And Jesus then miraculously feeds the crowd. Then again, later in chapter 20, there are two blind men sitting by the road and they're calling out to Jesus, but the crowd is telling them to be quiet, but they keep calling out. Until we read in verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed followed him. And we could look at lots of other examples. When Jesus witnessed the suffering of humanity, compassion flowed out of him. Now, this is not to say that Jesus never got angry or frustrated. He did get angry, but he never got angry with needy people who brought their needs to him. He got angry with those who mistreated others. He said, it's better to have a rock tied around your neck and to be thrown into the sea than to cause a little child to sin. He got angry with those who misrepresented God. He flipped tables in the temple because the temple had become corrupted. He got angry with death, with hard-heartedness, with religious hypocrisy. Jesus got angry. But he never got angry with those who came to him with their needs, with those who came to him for help. He had compassion for them. So let me ask you two questions. First, do you know Christ's compassion for you? What burdens are you carrying? What troubles are you facing? What needs do you have? If you bring them to Jesus, he isn't rolling his eyes at you. He isn't repulsed by you. He's not sick of you. He's not thinking, when are they going to get over it? His heart is full of compassion for you. For all who are weary and burdened, For all who are harassed and helpless, for sinners and sufferers like us. Do you know Christ's compassion for you? Secondly, are you willing to show Christ's compassion to others? When you see someone in need, do you feel compassion for them? Do you try to help them? Or do you turn your back on them? You think to yourself, well, it's probably their fault. When we see the way that Jesus sees, we will feel the way that Jesus feels. But of course, the goal is that it will lead us to do 
what Jesus tells us to do. And this brings us to our third and final point, which is what Jesus said. Now, Jesus takes a bit of a surprising turn in verses 37 and 38. You'd think that after seeing the great needs of the crowds, after feeling great compassion for the lost, he would say to his disciples, now get out there and tell them the good news. Get out there and do something. Start preaching, start churches, build hospitals, organize food drives, put on Christmas festivals. That's not what he says. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In other words, there are lots of lost people. There are lots of people far from God. There's lots of people in need of help, but there's a problem. The laborers are few. There's not enough workers in the harvest. There's not enough hands to help. Now, if that's the problem, what's the solution? Again, you would expect Jesus to say, well, get busy, get to work, do something. But he doesn't. He doesn't say, look around at the needs. He says, look up to God. He doesn't say, put on your running shoes and get going. He says, get on your knees and start praying. Verse 38, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, why would Jesus tell us to pray instead of doing something? Why would he tell us to talk to God instead of talking to people about God? It's not as if Jesus is against action. I mean, in the very next chapter, actually in the very next verse, Jesus is going to send out his disciples to preach and to teach and to do the things that he's been doing. So why start with prayer? And the answer is because it all begins with God. It's God's work. This is God's harvest, and we're God's workers. It all comes from him. You see, when it comes to God's mission in the world, we don't begin with our powers of persuasion. We don't begin with our flashy programs, with our clever courses, with our gifts and abilities. We don't even begin with our amazing Christmas festivals. Now, all those things are right and good. They're things that we should be doing, but they're not the main thing. The main thing is prayer. Because when we pray, we ask for God's help and we call on God's power. You know, our events and our programs and our courses, they're a little bit like the car, the vehicle. And prayer is is a little bit like the fuel, the petrol. Without prayer, they're not really going to go anywhere. And so Jesus says, when you look at the needs around you, begin with prayer. Admit your need and ask for God's help. Now, here's the really cool thing. We know that the disciples did what Jesus asked. We know that they got praying. Why? Because we can see that God has answered their prayers. We can look back throughout history and we can see the fulfillment of their prayers. You know, often we read this passage as if we're in the same position as the disciples. You know, the small group of men that were gathered around Jesus at this stage. But let's be honest, a lot has happened since Jesus uttered these words. I mean, it's fair to say that the mustard seed has grown into a tree that the workers have multiplied, that the harvest has been brought in and is being brought in and will continue to be brought in until Jesus returns. And if you belong to Jesus, you have been brought in. You have been brought home. The great shepherd of the sheep has taken hold of you. He's laid down his life for you. 
He's rescued you from your wandering and he has brought you home. And so this morning, we all have a response to make. And I'd like to invite you to respond in two ways. First, I invite you to respond to the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. The good shepherd came for you. The good shepherd laid down his life for you. And today is your day to come home, to respond to him, to put your faith in him, to receive what he freely offers to you. But secondly, I'd also like us to respond by doing what Jesus told us to do, to pray. And I'd like us to pray specifically for our Christmas festival this afternoon and for our Christmas services next weekend. There will be crowds of people descend on our campus. And we want to see them the way that Jesus sees them. So that we might feel about them the way that Jesus feels. And so that we might do what Jesus tells us to do. Which is to pray to the Lord of the harvest. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that the Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth. The good shepherd came to lay down his life for the sheep. To gather us in his arms. To rescue us from our wandering. To bring us home. And Lord, we pray for, for those who have never come under the care of the good shepherd. We pray that today might be the day that we stop wandering and we come home to him. We turn from ourselves, we turn from our sin and we trust in him. The one whose death on the cross has paid for all of our sin. The one who rose again to defeat death and to give us life. And Lord, we pray for our Christmas festival this afternoon. We pray that as crowds of people come, we ask that you would help us to see them as you see them, to feel about them the way that you feel about them, and to do what you call us to do, which is to call on you to open blind eyes, to soften hard hearts, to bring more people home to you. And Lord, we pray for our Christmas services next weekend. Pray that as we share the good news about Jesus, that it would land on hearts ready to receive it and that you would change lives forever. Lord, thank you for the privilege to be workers in your harvest. We don't have it all together. We are needy, we are weak, but you are strong. You are the Lord of the harvest. And we turn to you today and all of our days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.